Hello, my name's David Lee, and welcome to Podcast by Brodies. Brodies experts operate in many areas of the law every day, and their clients have a number of questions before, during, and after their time working with the lawyers, whether navigating new or more familiar situations together. In each episode of our series, What Do I Do If?, we talk to experts from various fields to understand how they help clients when they're faced with a whole range of different scenarios. The latest series of podcast episodes features Brody's personal and family team. And today we're examining the question, what do I do if I want to protect my family wealth? And I'm joined by Haley Robertson, who is a partner in the personal and family team at Brody's, and by Jeff Simpson, a chartered financial planner with Hyman's Robertson Personal Wealth. Welcome to you both. And Haley, to start with you, just tell us, first of all, why is protecting family wealth such an important issue for Brody's clients? Well, most of our clients um, have worked hard, whether for their own family businesses or for employers, and therefore it's crucial for them to make sure that their own personal affairs are considered and made a priority. Okay, and what are the trigger events? You know, what are the reasons why clients might come to you and 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 say, "I want to do this." What is the now? What is the the immediate trigger? There there can be a number. Um, one that we see quite often, and one that certainly sparks discussion in this area, would be the potential sale of any business. Um, similarly, retirement generally that's often a trigger point where people start to consider the next phase in their life. Perhaps not quite as positively, ill health, whether of a family member or friend or, or themselves, often triggers people to look at their own plans. Um, and, and I guess as people get older, um, their own old age and potential concerns for care um, for future can also be triggers. Okay. And when you're advising someone on this, Haley, how do you advise them in terms of why it's important to do it now rather than later and, you know, not necessarily waiting until that some of those scenarios you outlined would you could describe as crisis points? Why is it important to do it sooner rather than later? Absolutely. It's a very good question. And I think it's human nature to put off, uh, to think that you've got time to think that you'll do it maybe next week or next year. Um, and, you know, whilst none of us have this crystal ball that we may wish for in life, um, that really is, is a reason. Um, frankly, we, we don't know what is ahead. Um, and I think as well for, for busy people, it's very easy to put your own personal affairs to, to the bottom of the pile and to focus on, on other things. So I think it is really important to do it to do it early enough so that you can make sure that whatever your plan is it's a plan that not only is in line with your own wishes and and your future plans which will of course develop in in the coming years of life but also that is appropriate taking into account your family's personal and financial circumstances which will also alter as as families grow and there are reasons for doing that, Haley, for both tax issues and for peace of mind. You know, is is it important to focus on both? Absolutely. And and again, depending on what point in your life, depending on what your trigger is um, and what your priorities and aims are at that time, that can differ. But very much the two, you know, would often go hand in hand. Um, and again, doing it as early as possible means that usually there are way more options available and also gives that opportunity, particularly from a tax mitigation perspective, the longer you have broadly, the, the, the easier and um, the more the more 
obvious it is to, to be able to take advantage of the, the reliefs that are there and to plan. Okay, thanks very much, Hayley. Jeff, we'll bring you in here. Uh, we sometimes hear the phrase intergenerational wealth planning. Uh, what does that mean and how does that kind of play out in across families? So by, by intergenerational planning, we tend to mean the plans that a family would put in place to ensure that their assets are passed to the appropriate people or charities or bodies, wherever they decide. And it's the planning process that is the most important thing. And that, that's what we refer to when we call, um, what we say, intergenerational planning. And when we're talking about that, when we're talking about family wealth, is it is it mainly the post-war baby boomers at the moment who are most focused on this kind of passage of family wealth? I think that they are quite a key um, part of society because so much wealth sits with them. Um, they are the, the wealthiest generation that the UK has ever seen. So um, they therefore control more wealth than any previous generation has. So inevitably, they are... Um, most at risk when it comes to passing assets effectively. And therefore, they, they are probably the first generation of, of, of its time to really be uh, responsible for that passing of assets to the next generation. And are there any statistics, Jeff, about you know what we're expecting, how much money we're expecting to, to move between the generations in the, in the coming decades? Well, we do know that um, 70% of the UK's wealth is held by the over 50s. So from a sheer volume point of view, that's, that group of society holds more wealth, a huge majority of their wealth the UK has in total. OK, and let's let's sort of dig down in some of the kind of more relevant issues in uh, in a bit more detail. So, Hayley, um, mitigating tax liability, first of all, how can that be done effectively to help the next generation? Yeah, I mean, that usually is the priority, you know, for, for clients that we meet that they're very keen to understandably mitigate any tax liability that they may have in life, but also on death. And similarly, as you say, to be able to help the next generation. The gifting is, is often something that is, is considered and, and referenced by clients. And I'm sure we'll, we'll come to discuss this the, perhaps later and certainly something um, for, for Jeff to, to talk about um, is making sure that any gifting that's done is appropriate um, and is of the, the right amount, um, i.e. too much is not gifted too soon, etc. Um, so that's certainly something that we very much advise on on a daily basis. And, and it's that helping the next generation, but in a way that is appropriate for them and at the right time um, and in the right format, again, depending on their own financial and personal circumstances. But it definitely presents an opportunity. And again, back to the earlier point, the earlier, the better. Um, and making sure that that's something that's kept on the agenda because circumstances and particularly families evolve regularly certainly do um and then two of those uh, sort of horror phrases uh when people are thinking about personal wealth inheritance tax and care costs um you know what are the what are the threats let's talk about inheritance tax first of all Haley. 
Yeah, so I mean, the, the I guess the headline is, you know, 40% um, of your estate after deduction of any reliefs um, and exemptions will be um, what is passed to, to the government. Um, that's, you know, a lot of money, 40% of your estate. So naturally, many people are keen to understand more about what the reliefs are and what you can do about it um, in terms of planning. Um, and frankly, as part of this discussion that we would have with clients, um, that opportunity to mitigate the tax, it's also about making sure, specific to your circumstances, that if for whatever reason, perhaps you hadn't been able to do your planning early, that if an, an IHT liability of 40% is envisaged on a death situation, it's also about making sure that there are sufficient funds within the estate. So not just planning in life, but also making sure that in a death situation, um, as I say, there are sufficient um, liquid assets for the family to be able to find the cash to pay the the, the inheritance tax bill. Now, obviously, the, the hope is that the, the bill is is much reduced or, or indeed um, eradicated. But um, again, that just outlines the, the importance of a, of a good plan. And, and of course, care, care is very much, um, similar to concerns about tax. Care concerns is, is something that most of our clients at some point will, will want to speak about. Um, I think we would often say to our clients that it is perhaps not as big a worry as what people think. It makes very good headlines. Um, because actually I believe that the statistics of the number of, of of people who actually go into care in the UK is actually relatively small. But nevertheless, one must be careful to make sure that any planning that is done there is within the legislation and also is done in a way where um, the, the legislation and also the position of local authorities of care accommodation is required, that it's done again within within those realms. Okay, thanks. Thanks very much, Hayley. And there's a lot to think about here. So when individuals and families are thinking about wealth planning and the legal aspects of it, what kind of lawyer should they be looking for? What kind of characteristics do you and your colleagues bring? Uh, you've talked there about some of the big, you know, things that might be really preying on people's minds. So as well as being a lawyer, is it quite important to give them that kind of reassurance that, as you've just said, uh, things are not always bad as, as bad as they seem? Absolutely. I mean, I think the, the sort of starting point I would always say is make sure you go to you know a specialist trust succession lawyer who also has a very good understanding of the interaction of the various taxes. I think that is particularly important. Obviously, in Scotland now, we have our own uh, taxes that are different to the UK and having an understanding of that difference um, and, and of the application. And I think, as you say, what's absolutely critical as well as having the, the actual knowledge that the practical experience and the experience of dealing with clients and importantly dealing with families um, you know we see many many families with you know many that are made up in many different ways um, and, and often you know the, the worries and the concerns are actually very similar so I think that's the important partnership is to find a lawyer who understands the, the legal and the tax but also uh, understands the intricacies of families um, and you know, the, the need for empathy as well to understand that often this is not the top of people's priority list. You know, some people find it difficult to talk about it and it's understanding all of that and then putting it across in a manner that suits them and also is appropriate for their own family and their circumstances.
So we'll come on to the financial planner side, Jeff. Um, we've talked there about the considerations about getting the right lawyer. What are the considerations when someone's looking to find the right financial planner? That's a good point. I think trust is key. Trust is really key to that relationship, mirroring what Haley's just said about trust with a lawyer. And But, but trust is inevitably earned over time. It takes time to, to build up trust with somebody. So where that time doesn't necessarily sit... Um, in place, then usually getting a referral from somebody you do trust is, is a really key starting point. So clients will often speak to Haley or their accountant and ask them for a referral that, that, that they know work, have worked with somebody in the past. Um, and aside from trust, really, you're looking for somebody, in my opinion, that's well qualified. I would say chartered as a minimum. I think in our industry now, chartered is that benchmark point that shows that somebody takes their role seriously and has taken a lot of exams to get to that level. Um, and then mirroring what Haley said, experience is really key because it's a it's a really tax and legislative heavy part of advice um, and understanding the legislation and the tax and how they interplay is really vital. Um, and then working with closely with a, with a, a lawyer and accountant is also key because a lot of the time what an advisor will suggest putting in place may have an effect on, on what a, an accountant or a lawyer is thinking about putting in place. So having that ability to work with somebody, understand what they're doing and how that affects somebody's life is really, really vital. Yeah. So so that, that dynamic between the professional advisors is 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 really important, Jeff, yeah? Yeah, definitely. Because intergenerational planning takes time, uh, sometimes a long time to, to play out. And invariably, it, it changes over the years. Somebody's opinion and views changes over the years. And therefore, you have to be able to work together as a team because if, if part of that team changes something, it could have a negative effect on the other parts of the plan that somebody else has already, already implemented. So it's really key that people work together. Yeah, okay. And let's go back to that kind of family team, if you like. Very often, as Haley said, is a particular trigger in life that will lead an individual or a, a, a couple or whatever to come and look for, for, for advice. How open do people tend to be in sharing that kind of financial plan with the wider family? And what are the, you know, what are the benefits and pitfalls of that openness and that transparency? Um, that's an interesting question, actually. I think it depends on the family. Uh, some families are naturally very open and will discuss and disclose everything. Uh, others others aren't, and it depends on the family dynamic. It depends on, of, on my experience, uh, on, the, on the wealth as well. If the wealth is significant, sometimes families feel that they need to be a bit more closed about it. It can also depend on the age of the, of the children involved. If they're young, then maybe disclosing large amounts of assets doesn't really have any positive outcome potentially. So it's important to protect them from themselves as much as it is to protect the family assets. Um, so, you know, most of the time people will be open, but it might take time for, be, for them to be open. And there is an appropriate time where they will bring in their family. Okay. And, and what are the options, Jeff, if, if somebody is wanting to pass on wealth to the next generation, what are the main options to do that? So they sit into, into multiple groups, but really the main options are to, to gift money to family, and it can be a gift directly to family or friends. It could be gifts um, to charitable bodies even. But the, the options are to gift money, so you lose control, but you invariably gift that money to somebody else. 
or what we're finding more common now is to use some form of legal structure to control uh, how that gift plays out and when the most appropriate time for that gift is is to occur. So that might be a trust or a company um, that's set up to ensure that the gift occurs at the right time to the appropriate people. Okay, and Haley, just coming back to the legal side of things, what are the potential legal pitfalls that families make uh, when it comes to gifting that can actually rebound on them in a negative way? Yeah, unfortunately, we sometimes see clients who perhaps have taken advice, but maybe not from a specialist or done the the famous Google search. Um, And and often we we see clients who come to us were perhaps not actually instructed necessarily to deal with um, their planning and and their estate and succession planning, but perhaps we were consulted in relation to their will or power of attorney. Um, But as part of that, we would always ask, you know, more widely what their plans are. And and often, um, not, not too often, but sometimes we do come across circumstances whereby some some planning has been put in place um, and and the planning um, doesn't work um, for inheritance tax purposes and that is never um, a great thing to have to deliver to a client, especially a new client or a new relationship. Um, But of course, it's very much part of our job and and our role to make sure that those clients are advised accordingly. The the sort of classic, if I can call it that, pitfall is, is the thinking that you can gift your house that you live in. So a couple, you live in your house, you can gift it to your children, but continue to live in the house. And unfortunately, um, people think that that works from an inheritance tax perspective, but it doesn't work because of the, the technical uh, reservation of benefit rules. So, so that is, that's one example. And as I say, it's one that we do come across from, from time to time. There, there are ways around that and we can help with the advice um, if someone is in that scenario, but that certainly wouldn't be something that we would be uh, ordinarily advising from an IHC planning perspective. Okay, and and Haley as well. What about what about doing nothing? What about deciding not to not to gift anything, not to pass anything on? You know, if the, if people look at their financial plan, do sometimes people just do nothing? Does it just sit there? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And actually, my answer to that is doing nothing is absolutely fine if you've taken advice and you've thought about it. Uh, and actually, often, you know, when we see clients, that is the answer. Perhaps they have already taken advice. Perhaps they're midway or, or further than that into their, their plan that is actually working. It's all on track. Nothing has changed legislatively or from a tax perspective or personal family circumstances. So actually being able to say to clients, everything's fine. You don't need to do anything. That That's great. Um, where people don't do anything... Um, is but but where it, it's not a situation where they have followed advice or they have a plan. Um, often people again back to the whole um, being too busy, putting off for another day, uh, and also something that we do see from time to time is clients who think that their own circumstances are just too complex. Whether it's because of a family problem, um, you know, business or, or other reasons, often people just think it's too complicated. I don't want to deal with it just now. I wait until things, you know, are better. And of course, we've seen it all before. 
it isn't too complex and you know we do this day in day out we probably have seen it all and so um, often that type of client or that type of, of prospective client um, feels great um, reassurance once they actually come in and speak to you you know it's reassuring to tell them that it's not abnormal it's you know perfectly normal and we can help I, I won't ask you whether any clients say if you advise them to do nothing whether or not that means the bill will be significantly reduced but we won't we won't go there um so jeff what about getting the balance right um between how much you want to gift how much you want to retain how comfortably you want to live in your older age uh, to put care in place if necessary. It must be difficult to get the balance right. Yeah, it is difficult. And it's, it's a question that there's never really any right answer. It, what we tend to try and do is is look at it scientifically and use cash flow modelling and certain tools to try and make sure that the answers that we give are at least based on some sort of formula or, or scientific reasoning, so we're not just picking a number out the air. What we try and do is run scenarios, model different scenarios to try and ascertain some form of split between what you they might someone might want to give away what somebody might need to keep to ensure that they can maintain their standard of living. Uh, because most of the time, when when plans are set up, they are quite hard to unwind. So it's really quite key from our point of view to ensure that people are really going into things wide open and, and understand what they're doing and that they appreciate that things might change in the future. So there's a degree of flexibility with, with their planning. And that's really important to us. And, and I guess moving on from that is because things do change, you have to keep that plan under review. Absolutely. That's really quite vital. You know, we, we know that there's nothing more certain than death and taxes, but the interplay between the two is quite difficult to, to understand. And we know that politicians will change their mind and tax rules will change and people's situations will change fundamentally. And what they might have done five years ago might not be relevant anymore. So keeping that under review and ensuring that people can have the flexibility to change their minds in the future is really important. And people feel that's really important in when they're, they're thinking about gifting. And is there a classic period of time, Jeff, when it's sensible to do a review? Is it an annual review? Is it two years? Is it five years? What would you advise? We tend to prefer annual reviews because naturally that fits in with investments that, that we might be reviewing for clients. Um, if, it, if we're talking about a will, that might be less frequently. But generally, whenever I'm reviewing a client situation, it will be in conjunction with Haley, and it will be part of an annual meeting. And we'll talk about the, the wider plans that we put in place the, the year before and we'll ensure that they're still appropriate. Uh, we'll, we'll check that the cash flow modelling assumptions are still relevant and things haven't changed significantly. And, and, you know, somebody's situation might have changed in 12 months. They might have had another grandchild. They might have changed their view on where they might live. So all these things are worthwhile at least discussing and potentially modelling again and making sure that the plans that, that somebody wanted to implement are still relevant. Okay. And, and Hayley, just a bit about the nitty gritty. Uh, what needs to be in place legally uh, to make sure that someone can carry out their wealth wishes uh, effectively and in the way they want them to? Yep, the critical question. So the first thing really um, from my perspective before we would consider um, you know, looking at succession or estate planning is actually what I would term the building blocks, um, the foundations. And that really is, is quite simple. And that is a will, 
but making sure that if you have a will, it does what it should do. It's still in line with your wishes and your family circumstances. Um, and, and importantly, is as tax efficient as it can be. Often a will is, is the, is the best place to deal with inheritance tax planning and also care cost planning as well. And, and the second sort of building block foundation is a power of attorney. Again, you know, Death is certain, power of attorney is hopefully not needed, but if it is, particularly if there are business interests or joint assets, it really is absolutely critical that power of attorney is in place, whether that's through incapacity in the form of um, dementia, Alzheimer's, or, or actually, you know, just an accident. So not through old age, not through anything you would associate with old age, but just an accident, something that isn't uh, anticipated. And, and beyond those, those two main, the will and the power of attorney being the main documents that every adult should have, separate to that, but equally as important, we must also make sure that clients have appropriate pension nominations in place. Pensions um, can, can now be inherited and there's much more flexibility for um, beneficiaries in terms of actually inheriting the pension following the change in legislation and the pension freedoms um, a, a number of years ago. So that's absolutely critical and, and that doesn't form part of your will. That is something separate to your will, related but not part of your will. And then similarly, if you are still in employment, so you perhaps not reached retirement age, um, any death and service provision that you have via your employment, making sure again that any nomination letter um, is is up to date and prepared and I suppose the final thing as well is any life policies where Jeff certainly can can help and assist here making sure again that um, that it's appropriate the amount of, of any life policy that the amount that your life the lives are insured for uh, making sure probably that it's written into trust again to make it as inheritance tax efficient as possible and making sure that the, the trustees that you have appointed um, are, are still alive and remain appropriate. Okay, so Jeff, there's there's a lot to think about here, um, not just what Haley's gone through in terms of the documentation, but in terms of those family relationships, in terms of choosing the right advisors, etc, etc, a lot to think about. What's your sort of high level advice to someone who is, you know, looking at this for the first time? How do you advise them so they don't become, you know, completely kind of bogged down in the process and don't get you know, too tensed up about it all. Where do you where do you start? What's that high level advice you give to them? I think the starting point for any planning is to to think and discuss with your family about what is the most important outcome. Have have that list of outcomes set out at the very beginning so that you can you can make sure that the whole plan that you've decided upon with your family and your lawyer and your accountant or your advisor uh, fit into your objectives. And starting starting with that is always my in my view the most important thing. Once you've got that objective set out, then you can discuss that with your with your advisors and they can formulate the most appropriate plan. So really starting with the outcomes that you want to achieve is my in my view the most important thing. And what about from your perspective, Haley? Last big piece of advice. Yeah, I think collaboration is, is key here in terms of um, your financial planner and accountant. Um, I think that is the key to making sure that not only do you have a plan now that works for you and your family, but one that will continue to work and that you can amend and tweak as, as life continues. 
Okay, thank you very much, Hayley. And thanks very much, Jeff. Uh, you've been listening to Podcast by Brodies, uh, where some of the country's leading lawyers and special guests share their enlightened thinking about the issues and developments having an impact on the legal sector and what that means for organisations, businesses and individuals across the economy and society of the UK. If you'd like to hear more, you can subscribe to Podcast by Brodies on all your favourite podcast platforms. And for more information and insights, please visit www.brodies.com. <laughs>